Good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. This is Doug McCary of His Life Ministries. And it is Wednesday, August 10th. And uh, normally we do our guest day on Thursday where we bring in uh, some Christian leader or some local leader or somebody who is uh, really living out a life of following Christ or discipling, sharing the gospel. And we bring them in. And just kind of have them share with our audience if they have resources and they can talk about that. Well, today is guest day because we couldn't get this particular guest tomorrow. So we just did a flip-flop on the days. And we are happy to welcome Grant Castleberry to the program. Grant is a pastor up in Raleigh at Capital Community Church. And uh, Grant, welcome to SWAT Radio. Doug, it's great to be here. I am thankful to be on yeah i'm happy to have you on as a uh a fellow minister as a, a fellow marine and uh a fellow believer in the sovereignty of god as we're going to talk about that this week um you know grant you were sharing with me before the program we were talking you are married to grace ann and you have four children what are their ages so we uh have 11 year old all the way down to three Wow. So, so you have a preschool. Uh, two <laughs> yeah, two girls, two boys. And man, we are so thankful the Lord has blessed us. And we have uh, just a great, great family centered on the Lord and and a great church body here in Raleigh. So we're we're blessed. And uh, and and so you are a senior pastor up there. And uh, you went to, uh, did you get both your degrees from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville? Yes, yes, I did. So I'm, I'm the senior pastor here at Capitol, and I did my seminary work at Southern Seminary, did a master, Master's of Divinity, Master's of Theology, and I'm actually working on a Ph.D. right now writing on Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I'm sure you've heard of him, oh, uh, Preacher pre- pre- Preaching and Preachers, man, yeah. what a great book that is. Yeah, yeah. so just just has, have, has been a fantastic opportunity studying his life and his preaching and his ministry, so I'm actually working on that right now. Is, is that going to be a book, you think? I would like to develop the material. I'm not sure I'll publish the actual dissertation, but I would love to develop the material just to to condense it and put it in a in a in a a form that would be beneficial to to ministers and and guys that are discipling other guys. Just because Lloyd Jones, his ministry has stood the test of time, yes, and uh, it really I think time has vindicated him, and and he also stood for um, God-centered theology, transcendent theology. He majored in the gospel and um, the importance of sound doctrine and all those things that uh, that we hold uh, very dear. Lloyd-Jones is an exemplar of somebody who modeled that. Yeah, he is. Well, as somebody who obviously has a lot of passion because 
you don't get to be the junior yell leader or the head yell leader at Texas A&M unless you got some passion in you. How was that? Was that fun? Man, it was awesome. Yeah, so I, I always uh, put a disclaimer out whenever somebody mentions a yell leader that it's not a cheerleader. So for uh, for your listeners, A&M uh, has never had cheerleaders. It started as an all-male military school, and they had yells that they did at the football games, and they eventually started electing two juniors and three seniors every year to serve as the yell leaders. And I was fortunate enough to serve in that position uh, from 2005 to 2007 at A&M. Did you ever go? Did you ever go out yeah, for the twelfth man? The football games and uh, that, did I ever work out with the twelfth man? No. Or? Did you ever go out to be the twelfth man? Did you try out? For no. Him? No. <laughs> Although uh, I was head yell leader my senior year, and I got to go out to, to the two a days with the football team. So I didn't I didn't suit up in pads, but uh, I got thrown into the to the uh, the ice pool several times. <laughs> That's good. Well, um, one of the things that I appreciate about your ministry, Grant, is that you you focus on verse by verse sequential exposition of the Bible, and you know we at SWAT Radio, our, one of our top uh, priorities is is God's Word. In fact, it's our starting point. God's Word is our authority and starting point. And uh, we live in a time where a lot of times that's dismissed, the, the verse by verse. In fact, one pastor even said it's, it's not even really work to do that, um, that it's cheating, that you don't interpret the culture. And, we, you know, we've talked about that. And that we've seen this shift toward pragmatism a lot in the church as far as sharing the gospel, diluting the gospel. And do you think, have you seen that as well, this this uh, kind of dismissing of the sovereignty of God and, and salvation itself? Well, I think what you're, what you're seeing, yeah, that's an that's a interesting connection you just made between the pragmatism and the sovereignty of God or dismissal of the sovereignty of God, because if you believe ultimately that salvation rests in the hands of men, then the natural conclusion or the natural reaction to that belief will be pragmatism, because you will do whatever it takes to then get, quote, conversions. Yeah. Not in the Pauline sense of I became all things to all men that I might win some. Not in that sense, but in the sense of as long as I can get a decision, then whatever um, means justify that end, I will do that. Yeah. Um, which is a which is in a dangerous place to be because you'll find yourself quickly departing from the the methods of the apostles which were prayer and preaching and in biblical worship, you'll find yourself departing from the method of the apostles and you'll find yourself riding Harley Davidson's out <laughs> on stage to try to, to try to get an audience or doing dirt. I actually, there was a church in, in Texas that actually brought in a dirt bike and did a jump on the stage, did a jump. They constructed a jump and did a jump as part of the service, which, um, 
it's almost dismissive of the authority and power of the word of God just to be preached and, and, and spoken. Well, in your own life, uh, Grant, when did you start realizing the sovereignty of God as it relates to your own journey? And, and was that something, did you grow up in a Christian home or did you grow up being taught the scriptures? How, tell us a little bit about your journey of faith. Well, I was taught the sovereignty of God through two fathers, and I'll, I'll briefly explain what I mean by that. My first father was a Marine aviator himself, flew F-4s, and was killed in a Marine Corps plane crash, dogfighting. It was a training mission over the Atlantic Ocean. And he was a believer, a strong, strong Christian, and um, his body was subsequently never found. But I have his legacy and, and his example, which has really been uh, formative in my life and just building a foundation. And what the Lord did is he in his sovereignty, you talk about sovereignty, is he used my dad's death ultimately to lead me to faith in Christ, mm-hmm. because I was asking all sorts of questions as a kid, questions like, where where is my dad now? Um, you know, what happens because we didn't find his body? How old uh, were you, uh, Grant, when he died? I, I was two and a half wow. when the plane crash happened. It happened September, September 23rd, 1986. And, um, yeah, so that, but his legacy has, has carried on. And the interesting thing is God used my father's death ultimately also to lead me to my wife because I met her when I came back to visit my father's memorial marker in South Carolina for the first time. And when when I was on that trip, we went to the church that my parents had helped start in South Carolina, and I met my my future wife at that church that Sunday. Wow! So, <laughs> if it hadn't have been for my father's death and God's sovereignty, I wouldn't have gone back to South Carolina, met my wife. Mm-hmm. So, the two greatest gifts in my life, my salvation and my wife, I owe to the fact of my father's death. So you, you really see uh, Romans eight twenty eight uh, coming coming to pass that God works all things together for good to those uh, who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So mm-hmm. I've seen that firsthand, and I I mentioned two fathers because then my mom remarried four years later, another Marine, and also uh, a man of God. He was an artillery officer in the Marine Corps. And he had been exposed to the ministry of a guy I think you know, uh, John MacArthur, mm-hmm. when when he was stationed out in California at Camp Pendleton and had started to support Grace to You. And really in my high school years, uh, his name is Preston Abbott. He had grown up Presbyterian, and he was the one that was really uh, foundational in, in forming my theology. And coming to understand God's sovereignty, the the essence of the gospel, uh, elder leadership in the church, the importance of expository Bible teaching, like you were just talking about. All of those things were taught to me by my father uh, in my high school years. So those things were were shaped um, 
early on, really, this understanding that God is sovereign over everything. I, I, I experienced it, and I was taught it. Hmm. And when you, when you were growing up, it, it, it sounds like it was a part of your life. Did you, did you go through a period that a lot of uh, young people go through in their teens or college years where you either rebel or go through some soul searching to try to figure out what it looks like for you that it kind of becomes your own? Well, I mean, I, I'm sure we all have lapses in, in our judgment, you know, especially in our, in our high school years and, and those things. But what happened for me in, in high school is, as God began to call me to pastoral ministry even in those years, I would uh, come home from football practice and every night after dinner, I would have to wash the dishes and I timed it to where we would eat normally five 45 or six. And Joe Stoll, who was in the, the uh, president of Moody Bible Institute was on the radio at six 15 and John MacArthur was on the radio at six 30. So I would time it to where I was listening to the radio right you know from 6 15 to 7 i would take a full 45 minutes to do the dishes and the lord man the lord just i i, I distinctly remember one night wash washing the dishes and i was listening to to john MacArthur, and i just sensed the holy spirit constraining me and i just sensed this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life mm. you're going to explain the bible and you're going to be committed to winning people to Christ, teaching the Word of God, and diving deep into the depths of of, of Scripture, and then bringing out those riches uh, for God's people. I just I I felt that unmistakably, and I really haven't diverted from that call since. And that and that listening to to MacArthur and Stoll, that that was not directed. That was pretty much spirit initiated in you. Yeah, I just I I was leading a FCA Bible study at at my high school. Uh-huh. So I was le- I was leading the the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Bible study. We had like a hundred something students coming, and I was just thirsty. I was thirsty for material, and I was longing. You know, it's, the Holy Spirit does that work where you begin to to long for the meat of the Word of God, not just the milk, mm-hmm. and as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. So I was really just longing for, for meat, and so that's why I was listening to the radio, and I was reading the books that my dad was getting in the mail through Grace to You. So I, I read the Gospel according to Jesus and and the Gospel according to the Apostles, and, and uh, books like that that really begin to focus my mind on understanding uh, the doctrines of, of Scripture. Well, I told you, you know, Phil Johnson was here um, just a week or so ago, and and he kind of led our our training day. And that book, The Gospel According to Jesus, was probably, outside of the Bible, one of the most influential books in my life as helping mm-hmm. me understand just the magnitude of, uh, of of what it means to be in Christ, to follow Christ, to to have a salvation experience. But do do you see in our culture? And and I would say, you 
my guess is you're in your late 30s, early 40s. Is that about right? Correct. Okay. So, so you're about 20 years behind me. Do you see in the generation now, our culture now, uh, this, um, this uh, kind of a dilution of the gospel uh, call on people's life? Any, is, it, is it just me <laughs> as I look around? Is it, is it, is it bothersome to you? Uh, I mean, like as a preacher, it's hard to watch people share the gospel uh, and dilute it. I struggle with it, and I, I tend to be struggling a lot. And I just wonder, do you see the same thing in our culture? You know, we talked about the pragmatism. Um, do, have you witnessed that as well? Uh, in your journey, of- absolutely, yeah, and I, and I think that one of the big issues is 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 so many we're feeling the effects of the seeker movement of the nineties, mm-hmm. where where the seeker movement of the the nineties and and which has kind of bled into the the big Eva mega church uh, feel that that we see today, um, those. You know, you can call them churches. A lot of them really don't function as, as churches, but but they their their goal is a very really shallow baseline Christianity. In fact, some of these megachurch pastors will say, "If you're saved, then you need to go somewhere else." Like we're trying to reach we're trying to reach lost people. Oh my so God. they they've misunderstood the the whole meaning of the church as a people being called out from the world that are actually believers, but. Long story short, what you're dealing with across the board in so many of these churches are either unbelievers or baby, baby Christians. Mm. And baby Christians aren't equipped to evangelize. They don't, you know, they're just trying to hang on. It's kind of like the difference between being rescued and being a lifeguard. You have a lot of people that it's like they're rescued, but they're still trying to get out of the pool. Mm. Whereas, you have fewer and fewer lifeguards that are there doing the rescuing, that are uh, winning people to Christ, that that know the gospel backwards and forwards, and are actually uh, trying to to witness to other people. Mm. Uh, well, that's you know the 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 sovereignty of God. It's you know you've seen it in your life, but what what strikes me is here here you are washing dishes and and how old were you when you were doing that when you were feeling you were in high school right doing the fca thing? that was when i was a junior in high school so yeah. i would have been 16 17, i think 16 17 yeah. years old yeah. and and the spirit is moving in you to listen to john MacArthur, who is a verse by verse teacher john doesn't tell a lot of funny jokes he doesn't john teaches the bible and he uses the Bible to illustrate the Bible. He doesn't even use secular illustrations. Uh, he just uses the Bible to illustrate. And then you got Joe Stowell, um, who's a little different communicator, but still very much Joe exposits the scriptures. And um, and I, I'm just struck by that that this wasn't your parents saying, "Hey, you know, Grant, you got to, you know, we want you to listen to this." And I I, I see God's hand on you. So how in your church do you deal with this issue of sovereignty with people who might say, well, you know, um, I, I don't believe we're robots, pastor. You know, I mean, like you're, what you're talking about, we have no choice in this matter. And right. how, how do you deal with that? 
as a pastor? Well, you know, you, you, you begin with, rather than just talking about God's sovereignty and salvation, that, that's the big thing, right? People have, a, have an issue with God's sovereignty and suffering or evil and God's sovereignty and salvation. Mm-hmm. But if, if you don't talk about those things, I think when you talk to most people, they would be quick to affirm God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. But it's when you get to those specific issues, then it's kind of people want to backpedal and say, well, maybe God's not sovereign over that. <laughs> so what I, what I, where I begin is I begin with the fact that God is creator and that he's the sovereign ruler, that he's uh, the ruler over everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1.11 that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God hasn't removed himself. We're not deists. God hasn't walked away from, from his creation. God is providentially governing everything that comes to pass, mm-hmm. right? It's... Um, the king's heart is in the Lord's hand. He guides it whichever way he chooses. So everything is within his providential control, uh, even the smallest details. I remember reading that a Puritan illustration. The Puritans use this illustration. They said um, the, the army lost the battle because the general wasn't on the front line. The general wasn't on the front line because he didn't have his horse. The general didn't have his horse because the horse was still in the stable. The horse was still in the stable because it didn't have a horseshoe. The horse didn't have a horseshoe because it was missing a nail. So it's it's like God is sovereign over the nail and God sovereign over the battle. Mm-hmm. And when when you because that's what that's what Paul says. He says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will, the little things, the nail and the battle. Mm -hmm. And when you begin to understand that, that doesn't mean that God is the author of evil. doesn't mean that God positively sends people to hell, but it, but it does mean that God works everything according to his plan. And he handles sin and evil in a way that uh, doesn't compromise his character. He handles sin sinlessly, as one of my professors used to say. Really, he does it by lifting his hand. Evil is the absence of good. So when God lifts his hand and sovereignly lets a, a, a person or a nation go its own way, uh, you know that he knows exactly how the the response and the the conclusion will be when he does that. Mm. Did you? So hey, that's, yeah. Did you have Dr. So Whitney up there? there? Yeah, I had Dr. Whitney at Southern, uh, Don Whitney. You know, have you had him? I, I've had him on the show? radio several times. He is phenomenal. I just, I love his book, uh, the, uh, the Disciplines book. He, he just thought he was a great, he, he was, I wondered what it would be like to have him as a prof, you know, up there as it was he, cause he was really great on the radio. So he's, he was, so I had him for spiritual disciplines and just learned a tremendous amount from him on, on studying the Bible and prayer 
and biblical meditation, which is meditation on Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, not filling your mind with, with emptiness or yourself. Um, yeah, just and, and he actually really emphasized the sovereignty of God in his in his class and and really going back to a more Puritan spirituality, which is Christ-centered, God-centered uh, emphasis. Um, but go- going back to your question about how I teach this, I just want to add one other thing because I think it's important. But it's important for people to understand, one, that God's sovereign, God's the creator, God's the one ruling the universe. But two, I think it's really helpful for people to understand our depravity mm-hmm. and the need of divine grace. Yeah. That, you know, we, we say, yeah, man, man is, is a, a free creature. We're responsible for our actions. But that freedom is actually, Paul says in Romans 6, a slavery to sin, mm-hmm. that we're in bondage to sin. He says in Ephesians 2, 1, that we're spiritually dead. Mm-hmm. and our trespasses and sin. Mm-hmm. So the picture that the Bible paints of man is is such a image that it really demands divine grace to, to intervene in order for anybody to be saved. Um, Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that there's none good, no, not one, no one seeks after God. Mm-hmm. So if no one seeks after God, Somebody might say, yeah, well, I've got free will. Yeah, but your will isn't seeking after God. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. will is, unless the yeah, Spirit you're moves. Not willing. Right? You, you have freedom, but your will is enslaved to your sin. Your will is not desiring God. Mm-hmm. And that means that there is a necessity of a divine intervention in your life, that God, the Holy Spirit, has to do a work in your heart and open your eyes so that you can understand the truth of the gospel, because otherwise you will not come. Well, and, well, 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 I mean, that's what Jesus says, right? In John 6, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Yep, I was, so, was yeah. going to bring that verse up. But hey, uh, Grant, we got to take a break for the news on the half hour. Uh, so when we come back, I want to I pick up right there and continue this discussion about the sovereignty of God and even the depravity of man, okay? Um, so, hey, you're listening to SWAT Radio. I've got Grant Castleberry today. Grant is the senior pastor up at Capital Community Church in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And if you're listening, whether you're listening in Mississippi, um, listening in Virginia, Florida, Georgia, and you got a question, you can email it to ask at SWATradio.com. We'll be right back with more. Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. This is Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. And uh, today I have uh, Grant Castleberry, who is the senior pastor up at Capitol Community Church in Raleigh. If you're up in the North Carolina area, I know we get truckers that listen sometimes. Um, believe it or not, Grant, we have a uh, $10,000 a month Google grant that gives us advertisements out on 
places on the internet. So we get truckers that listen and people listening out West, uh, other than the States where we broadcast locally. And, um, and so, uh, if you're up in that area, uh, stop in to, uh, Capital Community Church and, uh, and uh, go in there. It's a Bible teaching church in that area. I'm sure Grant would love to say hi to you. Um, Grant, I want to get back to um, this issue that you brought up right before we went to the break. Uh, not It's not just God's sovereignty. It's our total depravity and the fact that none of us go toward God. We I asked that question yesterday. Um, I was talking uh, to Brad, who's on the air with me uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or, or tomorrow, today he'll be this week. He'll be on Thursday, and we were just talking about the idea that no, nobody goes toward God on our own. And you were you were kind of alluding to that. Why is it that so, I, sovereignty causes such a problem for people who are totally depraved? It shouldn't. We should be thankful that He saves anybody, right? Yeah, I think I think most most Americans probably in the West are taught more a secular understanding of of the of human anthropology of of our understanding of of the the makeup of of ourselves rather than a biblical anthropology. Mm-hmm. So we think that we're absolutely free that we can make any decision that that we that we desire to at any point when in reality and this is what Edwards Jonathan Edwards who who happened to be the greatest American theologian he actually said no your your will uh does whatever you desire. Mm-hmm. So it's not that your will is just free floating out there and can make any decision at any point. The will always does a hundred percent of the time exactly what you desire to do mm-hmm. so what you think and what you feel will dictate what you will mm-hmm. what you think and what you feel will dictate what you will what mm-hmm. you do is a direct byproduct of what's in your mind and what's in your heart mm-hmm. and that's why paul emphasizes in romans 12 he says be transformed by the renewing of your mind Mm-hmm. Through and, and so, as the scriptures renew your mind in the power of the Holy Spirit, your affections change, and therefore, what you desire to do, what you will to do, mm-hmm. changes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, but you know, the reality is, is that mankind is far worse than than we ever imagined, and that's because of uh, the sinful nature of our flesh, and that's also because of our captivity. Uh, to Satan. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.26 that we are taken captive by the devil at his will. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 1 that we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness mm-hmm. into the kingdom of his beloved Son. So we're not neutral people. We're naturally, because of sin, we're born in a state, Paul says, in the kingdom of darkness. Mm-hmm. And this so, this is in direct contrast, so to what I would call the modern self esteem movement, or the, the our culture's push toward that. And you know, long before you mentioned Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther and his his bondage of the will said that sinful man is incapable of seeking God, for man's will is in bondage to sin, just like you said. And even if you go back to Psalm fifty eight. 
David said in Psalm 58, 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. Well, we're all wicked until we're regenerate, until <laughs> until regeneration takes place by the Spirit, right? Aren't we at enmity with God? I mean, isn't that what you were just quoting from Romans, that, that we're all kind of— Yeah, that's— that's exactly right, that we're all. So so the message of the New Testament is that every single person is born a sinner. Mm-hmm. And and Paul says in Romans 5, that's because we're all in Adam. Mm-hmm. Adam was the covenant head of the human race. And Paul says, because Adam sinned, all sinned. Mm-hmm. We all sinned in Adam, and we all are deserving of spiritual death spiritual punishment. Uh, we're under a, a state of condemnation. And uh, that that cuts deep. That's um, that's every single person. And, and like I said, Paul said, we're in the kingdom of darkness. So we don't understand in our unconverted state how dark it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but just a couple things to, to think about. One, um, because we're spiritually blind, because we're dead, there needs to be a work of divine grace in our lives. And the way that God does that divine work is through the proclamation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. When the gospel is preached, it's not just head knowledge. Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, mm-hmm. to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Uh, so it's the dunamis, it's the dynamite of salvation, it's the spiritual power of salvation. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit uses the message of the gospel in a supernatural way. It's not just uh, an academic, scholastic uh, process. It's it's a supernatural regeneration of the heart, as you just mentioned. I was reading in uh, the book of Titus uh, recently, and in Titus chapter 3, I'll just read what Paul says. He emphasizes this uh, regeneration, this work of the Holy Spirit in terms of how we're saved. He says in Titus 3, 3, um, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So you see that depravity that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. But, and this is the divine but, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Mm -hmm. And you might ask, okay, how is He going to, what's the next statement? He saved us how? You know, because we we believed. Well, that's not what He says next. He saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Listen, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about, in verse 7, justification by faith. Mm-hmm. So that act of regeneration, that renewal in the Holy Spirit, comes to the preaching of the gospel, and it immediately leads us to believe the gospel. Yeah. And I appreciate what you were saying before about how it, it, it's not just under, understanding intellectually um, 
the gospel. Of course, it goes through our mind to our heart. But I was thinking of that passage in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. And, you know, here's a guy who dies. I mean, Jesus is telling this story, right? And he's telling the story about a guy who died. And one was rich, one was poor. And it wasn't about whether they had money or not. The issue was about whether they were God's child or not. And the the man who was rich rejected God. He trusted in his riches. And he didn't believe the word of the Lord. And he wanted to send Lazarus to his brothers. And what did he say? He said, no. He said, no. If they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them, is what Abraham said in the in, yeah. in the telling of the story. It was about, and that Moses and the prophets is the word. And and he said, no, they, they, somebody has to go from the dead. He said, if they don't hear from the word. And I think that's what's kind of going on in our culture today, uh, Grant, is that we, we dismiss the power of the word, the spoken word, the explained word, and, and we, we try to spice it up instead of just letting the word be the word. And uh, how, 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 do you, how do you guard against that? Because it's such a pressure in our culture. We've got social media. We've got the attention span going down now to, what, about five minutes? <laughs> I mean, like when, when, when I was growing up, the sermons were 35, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour long. And it seems like they continue to shrink, um, uh, and depending upon where you go. And we'll spend. And there's listen. There's nothing wrong with singing. I, I don't want to minimize the 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 singing, but we'll sing for thirty five minutes, and then we'll preach for fifteen. You know. And I mean mm. I, 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 that that yeah. just seems something wrong with that to me. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think one of the things that I've noticed, and this is a distinction, is um, you have to believe that God's Word is living and active, as the writer of Hebrews says, and has that power to change lives. Mm -hmm. And if you doubt that in your mind, in your ministry, what you will find is that you will turn less and less and less to the Word, and you'll rather talk. And, and here's the subtle distinction. It's not that you're teaching heresy, but you'll you'll talk about the Bible, but you won't actually read the Bible to people. <laughs> you'll, you'll, so that's the distinction. You hear guys all the time, and they say, well, this is what happened in the fall. This is what's going to be in heaven. And this is this is what Christ has done, so on and so forth. And you know they're done with their talk, and I'm like, but where was the Bible? Mm-hmm. You talked about the Bible, but you never actually got to a verse and read the verse, and then explained the connections of the words to one another in the verse, their context, um, what the author meant, their history, their theology, their application. You never actually got us to the Bible. But that right there is where the power is. And I think what you said about attention span, people are really afraid. They think that if I, if I try to 
do that, where I try to explain the Bible and let the Bible speak for itself, I'm going to lose people. Mm -hmm. People are going to start tuning me out, but maybe some will. But for those that the Holy Spirit's working on, that's where the real power is. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to get guys that aren't afraid, right, that are unashamed to say, okay, this is the Word, I'm standing on it, and, and, you know, maybe it is an out-of-season time and people don't want to listen, Mm. but you've got to preach the Word in Mm. season and out of season. Well, um, you, you, you mentioned a while ago, you were talking about how regeneration precedes faith, right? Talk a little bit about how in a lot of churches today, people are taught, uh, they're taught decisional regeneration or, you know what I'm talking about? The, how basically the regeneration comes after their choice instead of, preceding their choice does that make sense what yeah. i'm asking yeah yeah rc Sproul always used to say regeneration precedes faith that was one of the the main ways that he taught people to understand the relationship of god's sovereignty to our salvation but what he's getting at is really important because christianity teaches that that to be a real christian your life has to be changed mm-hmm if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So this idea that it's not just that you think something different, and now I'm a Christian, or I know uh, the Westminster Confession, or I know the Baptist faith and message, and I agree with it. You know, I'm a conservative uh, politico. I, I voted for Trump in the last election. I'm against the woke stuff. You know, you can be all those things, but that doesn't mean that you're a new creation. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you have, I think, a lot of people that might have at some point assented mm-hmm. intellectually to the truth of the gospel, but they haven't been born again. Mm-hmm. And so this whole notion of this of this new birth that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3 this birth from above, this necessity for a supernatural work of God in the heart, in some ways has been lost because of the the decisionism that you're talking about, the decisionism regeneration that, that, oh, I made a decision, therefore I'm born again. Uh Well, maybe you are born again, but the reason that the reason why you really believed is because God did a work in your life and, 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 and you were born again. Um, but uh, I think a lot of people, you know, if you start emphasizing this necessity of of salvation, it's it's a little scary because it takes things out of your hands. Yes, and people don't like that in our culture, do they? <laughs> no, no. We're Americans. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We get it done. We we get the results. But um, you know, in Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus uses a a, a, a parable. You know, he says the kingdom of God is like a farmer who plants seed, and then he goes to sleep, and while he's sleeping, it grows, and then Jesus says, and he knows not how. Mm-hmm. It's that's, that's the picture right there, is we plant the seeds, but then, as Paul says, God gives the growth. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't know how that, you know, that regeneration in the soul, that's a mystery that God, that God works. Mm-hmm. We can't manipulate it. We can't, I can't. Um, I can't control who's going to be saved in the next 
uh, you know, evangelism uh, message that I do. Um, you know, people used to try and manipulate it with what they called the anxious bench. If you were getting emotional, yeah. uh, Charles Charles Finney would have people walk down to the front, and right. and people would begin to lay hands on them, and they would basically play songs and and pray and call out people by name until they quote made a decision. Yeah, and. What they found, though, is that three weeks later, most of those people had gone back to their former ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's what yeah, I'm talking so about. I was talking again, with it wasn't it wasn't a real it wasn't a real supernatural decision. Well, yeah, and we were talking about that yesterday. And the the thing is that I, I didn't understand this till later. At really, till later, even reading John's book, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus, but. We were not born again because we believed. We we were born again and believe as a result of being born again. The Spirit doing the work in us, that, that regeneration preceding even our faith, because our faith is a gift of God. That's so intellectually above us, it's hard to fathom for us that, that, that God would mercifully choose some and not others. But yet throughout history, you see this. Throughout the Bible, you see him choosing Abraham, but he didn't choose Abraham's neighbor, right? He, he chose Jacob, not Esau. He, he's, he's always been choosing, and nobody has a problem with him choosing Israel and not choosing the Amalekites. But when it comes to today, choosing some person to redeem and another person to allow not to be redeemed, people get really upset about that. Yeah, I think it's we're just so inundated with man-centered thinking mm-hmm. that that God-centered understanding that God is free. You know, God is freer than than man is free. Yeah, uh, because God's our Creator and God's God's sovereign, and um, that that whole idea just strikes at the heart of of are libertarian freedom mm. but when but when you come to understand god's providence and god's sovereignty it really is um the most comforting doctrine i think in the world mm-hmm. um when you understand that that all things come out of god's sovereign will god's sovereign decree you know, when you face tragedies, mm-hmm. uh, you, you're not like, man, was God at breakfast, you know, this morning and missed this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I could fathom, you know, if if I thought that my dad's death was a mistake, you know, on the grand timetable of God, that mm-hmm. God just missed it. Like, I don't know how I could fathom that or, if, you know, heaven forbid, I, I lost uh, one of my kids or something like that, like... I don't know how I could cope outside of an understanding of a sovereign God. And likewise with evangelism as a pastor, I share the gospel with people all the time. And if I thought that in the final analysis that their salvation depended upon my persuasiveness and not his sovereignty, I I, I don't think I could stay in ministry. Um, having that weight on my shoulders. But because I know 
that it's my responsibility simply to preach the gospel. And yeah, I'm as persuasive as I can, but my responsibility is simply to lay out the seed. Mm-hmm. And then I rest in God that he'll give the growth that he wants to give. And I can go at home, I can go home and enjoy my family, eat my ice cream, and sleep well at night, mm. and leave it in the hands of the sovereign God. Mm. You know, Grant, one, I'd like you to weigh in on this thought, but we, we've got about five minutes left. Um, you know, the, one of the issues when you're sharing the gospel in a man-centered approach is people tend to focus on God as a friend. Jesus is a friend who's here to help you rather than a king who died to save you. And, and, and even when you think about Moses, you know, I think there's a difference between God looking at Moses as a friend and Moses looking at God as a friend. Does that make sense? Like, it's like in, in the Marine Corps and you know, this, I, like I had a friend who was a Colonel and I knew him since he was a Lieutenant. I knew him before I ever got in the Marine Corps. Well, I got in the Marine Corps and I was a, I was a captain and he's a colonel. And mm. and to this day, I was just with him a week ago. I say yes, sir, to him. I respect him. I call him. He is my elder. He's a colonel in the Marine Corps. He will always be a colonel, even though I know him as a civilian now. But, yeah. but, but he has said, don't call me. Don't call me, sir. You know, you don't have to do that. But I, yeah. I, I feel weird doing that. Does that make sense? And this is a guy who was just a colonel in the Marine Corps, not the creator of the universe. Do you understand? Yeah. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, weigh in on that just for a second, these last few minutes. Yeah. Well, several things. Like, one, um, we are reconciled to God. Romans chapter 5, we have this access to God. We're adopted children. Yet the writer of Hebrews says that we're to worship God with reverence and all. Mm-hmm. So that that reality that God is God and we are not means that we are still to revere Him, honor Him, worship Him, tremble before Him. That we're not to take His name in vain. We're not to treat God flippantly. We're to honor Him in every aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. And just going back to the evangelism piece, um, what what I do is I, I begin with the fact that God is creator, and, and I start there. Mm-hmm. And I talk about the fact that because God created us, God makes the rules, we're all accountable to God. And, and then where I go next, and this is just doing a study of the book of Acts, this is where I found the apostles went over and over and over again is I actually go to the final judgment. And I say, because God is the Lord of the universe, our creator, mm. and because he makes the rules, God is the final judge mm. of everybody. And what you see, for example, with Peter, with Cornelius, uh, Peter says, Acts ten forty two that Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Mm. That's, that's what, that's what Peter says first. You know, when you look at Paul at Mars Hill, he says the same thing, you know, that God has appointed a man to, to be judge. Mm. Um, so this reality that, that before we even get to the gospel 
and even talk about sin, it's the fact that God is creator, God is sovereign over the universe, and that God is the final judge, that we're all accountable to him, that we're all accountable one day to Christ. We'll all stand before him. And then we talk about sin and where that puts us on that judgment day, that we're all deserving of judgment because we've all broken God's law. Mm-hmm. And only then do you get to the truth of the gospel and the fact that God sent his son as a, a righteous, sin-bearing um, atonement to, to pay the price that, that we deserved, which he paid in six hours on the cross. Mm. So only then you get there. But it's that emphasis on the fact that God's creator and God is judge that really sets the framework, I think, for evangelism. Mm, It does. And I I so appreciate you sharing that. And Grant, our time has come to an end. And, um, you know, if there's somebody out there, uh, you know, we got about a minute left, but if there's somebody out there that's maybe gone to church their whole life, but they've heard what you've said today, and they're still going, you know, I, I don't even know if I'm really saved. What would you direct them to do right now? Well, I would direct them to the promises of God. Paul says in in Romans 10 that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, That's a promise that God makes, that if you've truly called upon Christ as Lord and you've submitted your life to him, God keeps his promise. God cannot lie. And if you've done that, if you've really trusted Christ as Lord, not just sign a card or or something like that, but you've really come to the point where you've submitted your life to him and you can truly know with with full assurance that you are saved. All right. Well, Grant, thank you so much. That's Grant Castleberry, Capital Community Church in Raleigh. Grant, thank you so much. Prayers for you and your family and your church. Thank you for your ministry and your service uh, to the King and to the Corps. And uh, I hope to have you down here to do one of our training days, all right? Um, Lord, thank you so much for Grant. Pray your blessings and peace on him. We'll be back tomorrow with more SWAT Radio. If you missed a SWAT Radio broadcast this week and would like to hear any show in its entirety, then go to SWATradio.com. Click on Past Shows, where you can listen to the broadcast. Also, if you're looking for a band of brothers that gather around God's Word to be a part of, then go to SWATradio.com and email one of our hosts, and they can get you plugged in to one of the local SWAT Bible studies. Tune in next time to explore how SWAT Radio is strengthening spiritual.